2 Timothy 2 is where we'll be tonight, kind of home base for us. Uh, while you're turning there, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be here once again. I always enjoy being at Red Branch Baptist Church in whatever capacity I've ever been here. Uh, it's always a good time, but I especially appreciate Scott giving me the opportunity to, to pinch hit for him tonight. Uh, there's no greater calling in the world to me other than being a husband and father than to be charged with the responsibility to open up God's Word and communicate it, to preach truth. So uh, I am glad to be here to do that today. Before we dig into the text, though, let's take one more moment to pray that God will bless our time together and prepare our hearts. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the good food that You provided for us and those hands that prepared it. Uh, I thank You for uh, blessing us so that, that we can have that. And there are so many people around the world who struggle uh, to have one meal a day, much less two or three. Uh, and we thank You for the, the provision You've given us tonight. We also thank You for the freedom that we have to come and meet here tonight and talk about eternal matters. Uh, to, to, to talk about how wonderful you are and how, how you have blessed us through the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we can do that freely without fear of uh, police coming in like, like they do in many countries or, or even worse. So we thank you for that too. And, and now, Lord, as we open up your Word together, I pray most of all tonight that you will uh, use your Holy Spirit and your word to convict our hearts and to comfort us and to teach us and to um, glorify yourself through what will transpire through uh, my talking and the listening and how we live it out in response. So thank you, Father, for this chance, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well tonight I want to talk to you about one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith. It is a doctrine, a teaching, which is a great comfort to anyone and everyone who has been saved by Jesus, who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a doctrine that you may have been challenged on before. In fact, I suppose it's, it's quite possible that you might be struggling with this very doctrine tonight. I hope that's not the case, and, and if that is the case, I hope that this will be helpful to you, but it is a doctrine that is very comforting to Christians. Uh, you may know people who, who teach something uh, differently, but, but I hope this evening we can put to bed any questions we have about it. And if you don't have questions, at the very least, when you walk out those doors tonight, I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged in your faith and comforted in the grace of God. So if you're in 2 Timothy <coughs> Pardon me, 2 Timothy 2. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. And this is what it says. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Now, before we get into the guts of those verses, let's set the stage. Okay, I tell my son all the time that the first three rules of Bible study are number one, context, and then number two, context, and then number three, context. Because 
Many a heresy, many a false teaching, many a, a religion, a cult, have been birthed from taking part of God's Word out of its context and using it to, to say something that it doesn't, it's not intended to say. So what is the context of 2 Timothy 2 verses 11 through 13? What do we know? We know that the Apostle Paul wrote this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, saved in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, used by God for the next 30 plus years to preach the gospel, to, to, uh, to, to plant churches all over Asia, Asia Minor, uh, part of Europe. And, and here he was writing, who was he writing to? He was writing it, of course, to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was... So close to Paul, we first see Timothy introduced, I believe it's in Acts 16. Paul takes him under his wing. Paul considers him a son in the faith, a protege. He pours himself into Timothy so that Timothy, as we'll see in a second, will pour himself, himself, his life, into other people. Um, He's teaching Timothy. He wants Timothy uh, to, to know what to do because Paul knows he is about to die. Paul was imprisoned. He was in Rome when he wrote 2 Timothy. This is uh, what we believe are the last words we have in Scripture from Paul, probably written around AD uh, AD 66 or 67, around the time Paul was, uh, tradition tells us he was beheaded in Rome. So that gives this a sense of urgency, a greater sense of urgency. And, And we also know from reading this letter that Paul was encouraging Timothy because he was a pastor who was struggling with some issues in his church, which we, we understand to be Ephesus at this time. He had people who were opposing him. He had people who were turning away from the faith. He had people who were uh, trying to get others to turn away from the faith, to follow false doctrines. So Paul was writing in part to exhort Timothy, and we see this in chapter 2, verse 1, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He wanted Timothy to, to stand firm. Why? Because verse 2, the things that, I, that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He is pouring himself into Timothy so Timothy can pour himself into others so they can pour themselves into more. And that's how discipleship happens. That's how we are called to make disciples in the church even 2,000 years later today. So, in other words, what, what did I teach you? You take that, you teach others. And also, you have to do this, Timothy, by the way, even if, verse 3, you have to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul's focus was on Jesus. And he wanted Timothy in his trials, in his problems, to look to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on who He is. Focus on what He has done for you. And stand firm in your faith. Live faithfully. And of course, Paul is an example to follow when it comes to that. Because look at verse 10, if you've got your Bible open, you see, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. So Paul had suffered for his faith. He was about to suffer losing his life so that people would be saved. Paul went through all these things so that people would be saved Uh, I encourage you, go home tonight, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 11 and just look at all the things Paul endured 
And he's still not to the end of his ministry yet when he writes 2 Corinthians 11. But he endures this hardship. Why? So that people might know Christ. Why else would he do it? So, and he wants Timothy to do the same. And, and by proxy, he's calling, God is calling you and me to be prepared to do the same thing as well. And that's when we get to verses 11 through 13, which was a trustworthy statement, Paul says. It was a, a saying. It, it very well have, may have been an early creed in the, the early church. A set of beliefs, something that could be easily remembered, and it contained and communicated basic truth about God, basic truth about His Son, basic truth about the Gospel. And what does it say? First it says, For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. And that what a, what a sentence that is. What a sentence that is that basically points us to the most fundamental, essential principle of Christianity. The, the thing that separates the true gospel from every other false gospel out there. And it's this, substitutionary atonement. Now that's a kind of two, two kind of big words we don't always use together. We put them together. Substitutionary atonement. This precept, this concept that Jesus died on the cross in the place of everyone who will ever entrust themselves to Him. This idea that Jesus died for sinners, which is exactly what Paul had said previously to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In other words, you have to accept that Jesus has done this in the place of sinners. In your place, if you fully accept it, you will have Christ. If you don't fully accept that, then you don't have Christ. Because that's the essence of the gospel, that Jesus died for sinners. And I say this is what separates the true gospel from false gospels. Because inevitably, when you dig into any false teaching, any false gospel, they all in some way deviate, that they move away from what Jesus did on the cross. They may speak about the cross, but they minimize the cross, they diminish the cross. They, Jesus decreases and we increase. And sometimes it's not intentional. How, how this movement away from the cross happens. But it happens in every false system. It diminishes what Jesus did and it elevates what we do. And that's always how it ends up shaking out. But here, 2 Timothy 2.11, Paul wants to stress to Timothy that central truth, for if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. And Paul says that knowing he's about to die. You are undergoing hardship, Timothy. I am as well. Stand firm. If we died with Him, if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus and His death, it means you are dead to sin and you won't be punished for it. Jesus has taken the punishment in your place. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. And so any hardship you face here and now, well, as Paul says in another place, Romans 8.18, the suffering is, is not com uh, worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. So if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. And tonight, friends, if you have repented of your sins, if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, 
Because He has died and has been raised, you are dead to sin. And, And that means you don't have to sin anymore. And you will be with Him. And that is a glorious thing to consider tonight. We could stop right there and leave and be encouraged to know that Jesus has died in the place of sinners. And if we have entrusted ourselves to Him, that's us. And and we will be with Him forever. We will live with Him. But then we, we see even more. We see if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. So here Paul was reminding Timothy of the reward of a life that is entrusted to Jesus. Which the only kind of life that can endure, as Paul says here, it is a life that is truly entrusted to Jesus. You know, Paul doesn't have in mind here the haphazard professors of Christianity. Paul doesn't have in mind here people who say they love the Lord but, but live with little to no regard for Him. Those who, whose supposed faith doesn't persevere when the fires of life start burning against them. Paul has in mind here those who stay the course. Those who fight the good fight, as he's going to tell Timothy later on in this book. Those who, who endure the hardships of life and remain faithful to Christ the reward, we will also reign with Him. And that calls to mind eschatological language. Eschatological, what I mean by that is end times type of stuff. It calls to mind what the Apostle John records in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, this song in heaven that is sung to Jesus. And they say, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, substitutionary atonement, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I don't know if we... we, When we think about our future, our eternal future, I don't know how often you and I think about the fact that we will, if we're in Christ, one day reign with Him on the earth. We, we sing songs about heaven and, and things like that, but really, the new heaven and the new earth is our home. You know? and, and we will reign with Him upon the earth. Uh, you know, no matter what your light, lot in life might be, if, if you're a, a brother and sister in Christ, no matter what kind of junk may be coming up against you, if you remain faithful... If your faith is proven by your endurance in believing and trusting in Christ, then this will be you. You will reign upon the earth with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That that coming future thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. Which we learn about in Revelation chapter 20. That, that coming future day, if we endure, we will reign with Him. And what a glorious thing that is for us to consider tonight. What a glorious thing that is for us to... You know, if we put that in the proper perspective, we might never actually sin again. You know, if we always had our mind on, on the certainty of what Christ has promised us in the future, we would probably say no to every sin. Whereas wishful thinking on my part, because I, I know my own self, but... Uh, you know, then there's this flip side. You know, while, while, while our certainty of reigning with Him is as certain as the air we're breathing, 
And as certain as the death and resurrection of, of, of Christ, there's the flip side on the second half of verse 12. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Which, those are hard words. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Folks, there's something we need to know tonight. This is Here's the warning. And I wish I didn't have to address this. I wish I didn't feel this needed to be addressed, but the older I get and the more I minister, the more I see that it does need to be addressed over and over again. Not everybody's going to be saved. Not everybody will be saved. Not everybody will enter the kingdom. Not everybody will reign with Christ. If you deny Him, He also will deny you. And this is more controversial today than it should be. It's more controversial than it should be in the church. And maybe you don't think it's controversial, but you might be surprised by how many people believe that ultimately everybody will be saved. But the Bible nowhere says that will happen. There's a a heresy today which goes back millennia, but it's called universalism. And it is this idea that everyone will be saved. The thought is that... Because God is love, because He is love, in the end, He won't send anyone into this place that we commonly call hell. Revelation 20 calls it the lake of fire. The place where the worm does not turn and, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever. The place, the, the, the penalty of eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 puts it that way which is a, just a dreadful thing to think about. Eternal destruction. Think about that. But uh, the thought is because God is love, everybody will be saved. That's just not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. Some may take verses and, and twit, you know, there's some verses that talk about Christ reconciling all things to Himself. And so the thought is because all things include, you know, every single person who's ever lived. That uh, everyone will be that, but those things are taken out of context. And I hope that you know tonight that nothing is further from the truth than everyone needing to be saved. If everybody was going to be saved, we wouldn't really need to preach the gospel, would we? We wouldn't really be called to to go and make disciples. And why would we die for our faith when everyone's just going to get a get out of jail free card anyway? It's not how it works. If you deny Him, He also will deny you. No matter what some may teach, no matter what some books may say, no matter what our our pop culture might want to dictate to us. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 10.33, But whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny him before My Father who is in heaven. Just as sure as Jesus will save all of those who entrust themselves to Him, He will deny those who reject Him. And that includes those who are fake in their belief in Him. You remember Matthew 7? Man, I tell you what, the scariest words that have ever been written or spoken are probably those of Jesus in Matthew 7. Because there He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And those people will say, you know, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not pass go and collect $200? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are the scariest words. 
So it's not just those who are outright against Christ. It's not just those who politically make us want to uh, just vomit and, and those who celebrate immorality and practice sexual immorality. It's not just atheists and, and people like that who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not just immoral people either. Jesus had in mind people who were very religious when he said those words. The question then to each of us is, as I've heard it put, rather we've we've truly, completely given our life to Jesus or rather we acknowledge Him with our lips but deny Him by our lifestyle. And He will not be fooled when it comes time for the judgment, friends. And on that day, Jesus says, many will be denied because if we deny Him, He also will deny us. So then... I, I, th- that's the that's the uh, the intro really, because what I really wanted to talk about was verse thirteen, which is good news. Okay, so then after that comes verse thirteen, which is a curious verse considering what comes before it. But it says, "If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself." If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Because Paul just said, if we deny Jesus, he also will deny us. So surely that's talking about unbelievers, and and it is talking about unbelievers. But now he is saying, if we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. But we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? Is, Is Paul contradicting himself And of course the answer to that is no, he's not. There is no contradiction because there is a distinction here between those who deny him and those who are faithless. The faithless here are actually believers. They are believers who despite their faith in Jesus still sometimes disobey. Still sometimes have those moments where they fail Christ, where they fail to honor Him, where they fail to obey Him. Jesus has saved them and He remains faithful to them, but sometimes they fail. And who among us this, this, this evening, it's not morning, who among us this evening doesn't fall into that category? Who among us this evening doesn't have those times where we know we have failed you, Christ? You are my Lord, but I have failed you. Who among us hasn't had those moments? And, and really, don't raise your hands, but who among us hasn't had those moments? And I, and I hope you don't have those anymore, but maybe you still do. I, I know I have sometimes in the past where we even might doubt, am I really saved after what I've done? Am I really saved after I have failed to obey Him? Beloved, this verse should be a great comfort to you tonight. Because He remains faithful Those who belong to Him, He will not deny Himself by tossing aside any of those for whom He has shed His blood. When we are saved, beloved, what happens is we are united with Christ. We are in Him, and He through His Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are united with Christ. So He is not going to deny salvation to somebody He has saved. He's not going to deny Himself. So this goes to that wonderful doctrine of eternal security. 
That's the doctrine I really wanted to talk about. Sometimes you hear, once saved, always saved. And, and that is true. It's kind of a crude way of putting it. It's kind of an incomplete way of putting it. Sometimes you hear it talked about you know, eternal security, the eternal security of the believer, uh, the, the, the perseverance of the saints. My favorite way of putting it is God's preservation of His saints because it's God who keeps us in His hand. Um, you know, there's a, 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 a quote from a, a, a favorite pastor of mine that says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. And I know me. I know if I could lose my salvation, if I could fail him enough to where he would discard me, I, will have been, I would have been discarded long ago. But, but this wonderful doctrine of eternal security, when God saves you, friend, when, when he saves a sinner by his grace through faith in Christ, that sinner is saved, period. And saved for eternity. You know, we believe in a sovereign God, right? What use is it to believe in a God who isn't all powerful? Because if there's something that can be more powerful than God at any point, it, He's really not all powerful. But we believe, I hope you believe this t- tonight, what the Bible says about God, what God has said about Himself, how in Isaiah 46 He has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not yet come to pass. He says, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. First, uh, not first, uh, Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in the heaven. He is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. So if He is sovereign and, and He saves somebody, that means we're saved, period. Jesus said in, in John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So Jesus isn't discarding anyone who he has saved. John 10, 27-29, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So our eternal security is directly tied to the supremacy of God. If God is supreme, we're fine. If God is supreme and I'm saved, I'm saved, period. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. No, no, no devil, no demons, no other people can snatch me out of the Father's hand. And by the way, I can't jump high enough to get out of it either myself. In John six forty four, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not I might raise him up, not I hope to, to eventually raise him up. No, I will raise him up. So all whom Jesus saves, he saves. Uh, it's not in my notes, but I'll point you to Romans 8, verses 28 through 30, which talks about how uh, all those whom God justifies, he glorifies. And if you read that passage when you go home tonight, you'll see that no one falls out of what's kind of sometimes called the golden chain of redemption. Nobody falls out of that. So let me interject something here that some of you might be thinking. What about those people who seem to be saved and then they just disappear? Yeah, I, I, I don't know from experience in Rand Branch, but I know from my own personal experience 
throughout the course of most of my life that I have met several people who I thought, man, he seems to be on fire for Jesus, and then poof. And maybe it's even somebody who has seemed to love the Lord for over, for over the course of years, and then, and then they're gone. Well, they, they don't endure, do they? What does that mean? It means they won't reign with Him. You know, many of us can probably think of someone or, or, or many someones who, who did seem for a time, and maybe you've got somebody in mind right now, and you're thinking, well, surely they're a Christian, but we just haven't seen them. If, if, if they aren't enduring, we have calls, the Bible says, to not assume their salvation, but take the gospel to them. We, we think, you know, it, this shows that they were never truly saved to begin with, and we might think, well, how can this be? Because they seemed so genuine. Yeah, you know, I can remember as a youth in, in, in junior high and high school seeing people who were maybe a little bit older than me and seeing, man, they, they seem so much, they seem to love Jesus so much. And then they, they follow what you find out later on. They disappear. You find out later on they're not going to church anywhere. They haven't gone to church in forever. They don't believe the same things. You, you'll see things they'll post on Facebook and whatnot. And you'll be like, I thought they believed. But then you remember this. I think this is in 2 Corinthians. It might be in 1 Corinthians. That even Satan dis- disguises himself as an angel of light. And that the the power of Satan, the power of evil, the power of of sin to deceive us is strong. The very first sin was born of deception. So there are many who falsely believe, but no one who is truly saved by the grace of God will be lost. Or as Paul puts it, and these are two of my favorite verses, if you know them, Recite them in your head. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if you take nothing else away from this evening, take that. And be comforted by that. Because what it means is, if Christ has saved you, nothing can take you away from Him. And He's not discarding you either. It means that, you know, I'm saved, God has saved me, but I am a created thing, but nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What What a promise that is. That nothing can separate them. So then let's bring this back to 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot not deny himself. What does that mean then? It means that if you have come to Jesus, you don't have to live like you're walking a tightrope. You know, there are many belief systems, and some even kind of fall under this umbrella of Christendom. They... they they, they claim things about Christ, but you kind of have to walk this tightrope. If you're a Christian, you don't have to live worrying that if you slip up and make a mistake, you're going to lose your salvation. In the words of Paul would use, may it never be. Um, many people believe you can lose your salvation, and, 
and, and they live that way. And, and sometimes they, they live with this weight on their shoulders which can crush their spirit and introduce all kind of doubts about the goodness of God. But the goodness of God is not born in the fact that not everybody are saved. The goodness of God is, 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 is His own character and the fact that He would save anybody, even a sinner like me. You know, I, I quoted from 1 Timothy 1.15 earlier, Christ Jesus, um, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came to save sinners. I left out the last part of it, among whom I am foremost, Paul wrote. Because you know, he considered himself the, the worst of all sinners. But the Bible doesn't teach that you can lose your salvation. In fact, Scripture is full of examples of people who committed egregious sins after believing in God, after believing in the Lord, and they remained in the Lord. Adam had fellowship with God and committed that first egregious sin, but God kept him. He, he was ejected from the garden, but God still held him in his hand. Noah was faithful and put on the ark to, to preserve humanity. He gets out, he gets drunk and naked in his tent. Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? But it's sad, too. Abraham. God calls him. He's a, an idol-worshiping Gentile whom God calls makes a covenant with him, what does Abraham do? He turns right around and lies to Pharaoh about his wife being his sister, not being his, you know, being his sister, not his wife, kind of these half-truths, these big old lies to preserve him. And he does that not once but twice. He does it much later on with a man by the name of Abimelech too in Genesis 20. And his son Isaac would do the same thing. His nephew Lot would leave the, the, the leave Abraham behind and go into Sodom and Gomorrah. And even when he's saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, he has relations with his own daughters when he gets drunk. And he's called righteous Lot in Second Peter. Uh, you know, uh, there, there are plenty more. Um, David. David. Bathsheba. Need, need I say more? Uh, Jacob was a, a, known as a deceiver. He's the father of the tribes of Israel. Judah, his son, through the tribe from whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come, <coughs> plays, uh, well, he, he, his daughter-in-law plays the harlot, and he, not knowing it's her, solicits her services and has children by her. And yet they are all saved. Amazing as it may seem. They are all lovingly saved by God. No one is snatching them out. They're not jumping out of His hand because nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So the next time, you know, that, that's amazing grace. The next time you sing amazing grace, think about how God has saved you. And how He keeps you despite the many, many sins we still do commit. The many times we do fail Him. The many times we don't take what He has communicated to us in written word seriously. The many times we fail to discern 
the things in our world and the things in our culture because they appeal more to our flesh than they do His Word. And I could go on and on and on about that, but what an amazingly gracious God we serve who puts up with our failures and still loves us. Hebrews 11 is a testimony of those God loves and uses despite their failures. It means God, God can still use you like He did Gideon, like He did Samson. So tonight we rest in the grace of God. Even though sometimes we may be faithless, God is stronger than our faithlessness if we have been saved by Him, if we have entrusted ourselves to Him. You know, we rest in the grace of God. We don't rest in our, not in our own confidence, not in our own works, not in what we do, but in what He has done, in what Christ has done. And, yeah, that doesn't mean, I should say this, that doesn't mean we can go on sinning. That doesn't mean that we've got a free pass to keep on doing whatever we want to do. Because if we're saved, we're going to be continually being conformed to more Christ-like behavior. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul's answering an objection to the grace of God. When, when the, the question comes, the objection comes, well, if God's, you know, if God's full of grace, why don't we keep on sinning because it just magnifies His grace? And what does he say to that? May it never be, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? So, we're never going to be perfect until we're with Christ. But the trajectory of our lives should always be going further and further away from the world and closer and closer to Jesus. Um, The Christian will fail from time to time. But the Christian will continuously desire, strive to be like his or her Savior. We won't settle for faithlessness but we'll strive for righteousness, obedience, holiness, godliness, faithfulness. And we do so knowing that even when our faith turns from faithfulness to faithlessness, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Be encouraged tonight, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, if you, if you find yourself struggling with whether or not you're truly in the faith, He will save you. He will save you. You can talk to me about that. You can talk to any number of people about that probably. But He will save you and keep you. And that is a glorious promise tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And I just am overwhelmed by the grace You have shown me. I know uh, I have first-hand knowledge of my own sins, my own failures, all those times that I know the right thing to do, you know, like even like Paul writes in Romans 7, we do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we want to do. You know, we, we know what we're supposed to do and we still don't. We, we do fail you so many times and yet for those you have saved, Father, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. 
I thank you tonight for this opportunity to just communicate your word. And I pray, Father, that that we might be encouraged by your grace. I, I pray, Father, that maybe for, for if there's someone in this room tonight who is struggling with their wrestling with whether or not they're really saved, that you might give them some peace about that one way or the other, and that they would run into your arms and, and be secure in Christ. I pray for the maybe the person who has struggled with this idea that 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 we are eternally secure that 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 you know once saved always saved that that we I pray father that through your word tonight you you have shown that you save us and you save us for good and Lord for the person who's already convinced of all these things help us to be encouraged Help us just overwhelm us with your grace. Overwhelm us with how much you love us. And Father, may we, in in, in response to that, worship you and love you. And knowing that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Even when the hardships of life come, Father, may we be resolute and faithful and enduring and persevering And maybe we be steadfast and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.